Well, last week, if you were here, you met Mr. Wonderful, the perfect puppet husband available on eBay. He says things like, I'd love to go shopping with you, honey. He says things like, why don't we just sit and cuddle? Well, that was Mr. Wonderful. So that was only fair. Today, we talk and listen to Mrs. Wonderful. She says some amazing things, too. Listen close. As long as you're comfortable, dear, no one will care what you wear. Hey, it's just family. Love that one. Oh, you're watching a ball game. Just stay there on the couch, and I'll whip up some snacks. Are you sure it's okay to wash this shirt? You've only worn it for a couple of days. <laughs> That's Mrs. Wonderful. Now, of course, there are no perfect wives. And guys, if you are expecting a sickening, sweet wife, perfect wife like that, they don't exist to perfection. But sometimes our expectations are so high that we make life miserable for the best of wives. But today we're going to focus on some realistic needs that Christian husbands have for their wives. And let me say, if you're not married, maybe someday you will be. Or even if you never get married, chances are you'll be able to use some of these principles to help a family member or a friend as they go through marriage together with their spouse. Well, here's the first one. A Christian husband would say, I need my wife to be content. There is widespread dissatisfaction on the part of many wives today in a few areas. One, they're discontent with what they have. Some wives see what others have in material ways, and there's a spirit of unrest because of it within their home. They may criticize their husband for not making enough money, which undermines his self-esteem. They may feel like they constantly need to keep up with the Joneses. So there is a spirit of discontent in what they have. There also can be a spirit of discontent with who they are. The feminist movement has promoted status, achievement, and power over love, marriage, and family. So if we're not careful, a wife will pursue those things of the world, such as a career, and pursue that wholeheartedly as number one, which takes away from her time and her energy to put her relationships right with her husband and with the rest of her family. This syndrome is what some have called the hurried woman syndrome, a term coined by the medical community when they listen to women's complaints about their busy lifestyles. Dr. Laura Schlesinger, in her book, The Proper Care and Feeding of Husbands, attempted to counter this by writing this. In the real world of human beings, women have a unique urge towards bonding and nesting and nurturing. Men have a unique urge towards protecting, providing, and conquering. That doesn't mean that men can't nurture children and that women can't climb mountains. But it does mean that beneath individual variations in constitution and temperament, 
Women and men are different. How many agree? Women and men are different. Now, she's not saying that it's wrong for a woman to pursue a career. That's not true. But to disregard the basic instincts that God created inside of us creates discontentment. One more. Women are discontent with how they look. Every husband wants his wife to look her best. They want her to be happy with who she is, what she looks like. However, our society is obsessed with youthful, attractive appearance. And many appearance, and many women are discontent with that, especially as they age. We have the ability today to pin and tuck any body part you wish. And I'm not saying it's sinful to have plastic surgery, but we've gone way overboard, I believe. If this is where your hopes are, if you are seeking perfection in the way you look, you will constantly be discontent. Watch this video. feel like you're in a race, competition to be better, like being a woman is a sport. We're all just racing to the end to see who has the best meals cooked or the most pounds lost or the most successful family. As women, we feel like we have to live up to a certain expectation and then even exceed that expectation. Technology has given us the ability to monitor how our friends, family, and coworkers are are living perfect lives, lives that we wish we had. We tend to lose sight of everything we've been given, how very blessed we are. When we don't have the accomplishments that we think we should, we feel like failures. And because we feel so inadequate, it gets passed on to those we love. If only they would just do better. But what we sometimes miss is that we're being watched. Even though we're not verbally saying, I think I'm fat or I hate my body, what we believe about ourselves is being heard loud and clear. We compare ourselves to others like products on a shelf. Sometimes we don't even know we're doing it. And we're running, chasing a mirage and hot pursuit of the illusion of perfection. We forget that we've been pursued by a God who calls us complete in Jesus. We forget that it is finished, meant that our perfection was declared before our birth and gifted to us for no other reason than unrelenting, undeserved love. We forget that Jesus is our rest and we live like we're made for this world only. It's easy to wish that we had the strengths of others it's easy to question why God doesn't allow us the assets we think we need. It's easy to believe the lie. But can we afford to run this way? Let's dare to believe the truth that our perfection is found in Christ.
And that should mean something to us and to everyone watching. Proverbs 19.23 says, The fear of the Lord leads to life. Then one rests content, untouched by trouble. If your sense of worth comes from possessions, status, appearance, even your husband or your children, you'll never be permanently satisfied. But when you commit to listening to the Lord, and listen to how God thinks about you, you will be fulfilled. Philippians 4, 11 through 13, Paul wrote, I've learned to be content in whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. When that kind of of love, that kind of fulfillment and contentment is in your heart, you'll find satisfaction. Well, secondly, husbands would say, I need my wife to be encouraging. Again, Dr. Laura wrote this, men are born of women and spend the rest of their lives yearning for a woman's acceptance and approval. Unless you've got a man with a frank mental or personality disorder, the exception, not the rule. Men admittedly are putty in the hands of women. They love. Give him direct communication, respect, appreciation, food, good loving, and he'll do just about anything you wish, foolish or not. Elise, this may come as a shock to you, but we men have big egos. Guys, raise your hand if you have an ego. All right, we all do. And when wives understand that, they realize that we're not that complicated. Every man wants to be a hero in the eyes of his wife and family. You want us to love and cherish you. We want you to admire and respect us. That's why the Bible commands, husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And it also says, wives must respect their husbands. Several years ago, Brenna was cleaning the bathroom, and she got into the shower area and started to scrub the shower area, and she slipped. And when she slipped in the shower, she grabbed a hold of the pipe that the shower head was attached to, held onto that, and proceeded to break the pipe inside the wall, all right? Now, if you don't know me, I am not a handyman. I can't fix, that's putting it mildly, I can't fix anything. I don't even know where to start. And so I call my brother-in-law, John, and I talk to him, show him a picture of it. He gives me some instructions. I said, okay, I'm gonna give it a shot. Off to Lowe's I go, buy all the supplies. I come in. And first thing I do is I, <laughs> I cut a hole in the, in the wall about like, it only needed to be this, but I cut it like this. That big hole in the wall, but I got the pipe fixed. I stopped the leaks. 
but there remained a hole in the wall for a long, long time. Now, after I got it fixed, even though there's this big hole in the wall, Brennan comes up and she says, I knew you could do it. <laughs> and gives me a hug and gives me a kiss. And I tell you what, that meant the world. I finally accomplished something. It really wasn't the point that the shower was fixed, but she was pleased that I gave it a shot. Wives, your husbands want to be your hero. They need your encouragement. A couple of things that means. Number one, it means not to criticize or ridicule your husband in public. One of the most demeaning things you can do is to correct your husband in front of others in public. It humiliates him. He wants you to stand up for him. He wants you to be his number one fan. He wants you to be his cheerleader. Second, don't nag at him for his failures and weaknesses. There's a difference between correcting and nagging. Some wives feel like they, if they don't point out a husband's flaws, he'll never correct them. So there's a constant nagging about the little things that he doesn't do or leaves undone. He leaves the lights on, misses spots on the dishes that he, when he washed them, interrupts when you're talking, drives the wrong way in the parking lot, drives too fast, doesn't help around the house, maybe he's too soft on the kids. On and on the list may go. Solomon wrote this, a quarrelsome wife is like a constant dripping on a rainy day. Drip, drip, drip. It's like Chinese water torture to a man. All right? Wives, you must understand that the husband instinctively again wants to be your hero, even if he's a leader of thousands. To encourage means you find ways to praise your husband. Every husband wants his wife to cheer him on. Years ago, Nancy Reagan was asked what her role in the White House was. She says, my job is being Mrs. Ronald Reagan. Well, she was much more than that, and she caused the White House to flourish because of her presence. She was then interviewed on another occasion, and someone asked about her upbringing. She proceeded to say, my life really began when I married my husband. Now that might seem, make us gag and giggle a little bit, but that's what every husband wants to hear. My life really began when I married my husband. Years ago, Clark Gable had some great words when he says there's nothing more wonderful for a man than to know as he approaches his own doorstep that someone is on the other side of the door listening for the sound of his footsteps. Ladies, that's so true. There have been many nights, late nights in ministry through the years where I may have been in a long meeting or out on a counseling call that was pretty intense. And I remember coming home and I'd see candles lit, not only in the house, but on the doorstep. Welcome me home, Brenna Wood, as I approach the house. Ladies, your husband needs to feel like he's wanted at home, and he needs to want to come home. 
third need, be more affectionate. Be more affectionate. Affection means more than just sexual satisfaction. But please understand, wives, while you see intimacy as the end result of affection, a husband sees it as the beginning point. Sexual fulfillment is a major need in the life of most men. Here's a few reasons why. One, it's instinctive. God made us that way. God made us to procreate the earth, and he made us that way to be bonded with our wives. Also, it's spiritual. It doesn't go away when you give your life to Christ, all right? When we're converted, the Lord doesn't make the desires fade. They are God-given. In fact, most of the book of Solomon the Bible honors the physical attraction we have in marriage. Also, it's ongoing. Sexual drive may diminish, but it normally doesn't stop even when you get to be 40, 50, or even 70. And then also, it's dangerous. It's dangerous. If not fulfilled in marriage, it can create tension, bitterness, and temptation. I don't know if you really ever pause to think about this, but there's a reason why we have marriage ceremonies and we go before God and ask God to bless that marriage and honor that marriage and be in that marriage. It's because marriage is God-ordained. It's God-ordained. And because it's God-ordained, it's sacred. A lot of that sacredness seems to be taken away today, but in God's eyes, marriage is sacred. And because it's sacred, the enemy wants to destroy it. This is huge. When you signed up for it, the day you got married, you stepped into a spiritual battle because Satan is all about destroying what God calls sacred. And marriage is sacred. Max Lucado puts it this way. Satan won't suddenly steal your home from you. He'll do something far worse. He'll paint it with a familiar coat of drabness. He'll replace the evening gowns with bathrobes and nights on the town with evenings in the recliner. And he'll substitute romance with routine and it'll scatter the dust of yesterday over your wedding pictures in the hallway until they become a memory of another couple in another time. And we're not careful, that's what happens. Instead of experiencing the fullness of marriage, we allow Satan to come in and steal it. For us to rekindle the romance and affection, it begins, I believe, with understanding it's a spiritual battle. And we're going up against Satan and not each other. 1 Corinthians 7, 4 and 5 candidly says, The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together. So Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. When I was working on this, I was Googling different things, and I saw this picture. 
No matter how old you are, never stop holding hands, never stop dancing, and never stop saying, I love you. I thought that was so cool. Be affectionate. Make your husband your number one priority in your life just behind God. One more. Husbands need their wives to be forgiving, and this is huge. Some of you wives may have been seriously wounded by your husband. Maybe he's been guilty of an affair or been abusive or deeply hurt you. Maybe there were terrible lies, internet pornography, unwise investments, mistreatment of the children, embarrassing arrests, and the list goes on. But now your husband has repented and he's seeking healing and transformation through the power of Jesus Christ. And he's begging you to forgive him. Colossians 3, 13 through 15 commands this. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on what? Love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. Now, I understand in counseling couples so many times through the years, there are two sides to every story. The husband needs to be, have a repentant spirit. He needs to be able to gain trust back. There needs to be accountability. There needs to be caution, especially in the case of abusive behavior or infidelity. Husbands, it means you need to be very, very patient, guys. Forgiveness takes time. It takes time for trust to be earned again. Deep wounds take a long time to heal, and people get guarded. But wives were told in Scripture to forgive one another as God has forgiven us. Ephesians 4.32, Paul writes, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just in Christ, God forgave you. All of us love knowing and understanding that God loves us even though we're imperfect. We love the thought that God looks at us without blemish, that God looks down on us and as he does, he takes our sin and buries it in the deepest of seas to be remembered no more by him. But it's really tough to practice that same kind of forgiveness with the people we live with and that irritate us every single day. But we're still commanded to do so. Chip Ingram says this, I love this. Marriage is not a debate to be won but a dance to be enjoyed. Marriage is not a debate to be won, but a dance to be enjoyed. And when you see that taking place within your marriage, all of a sudden fewer disagreements come up, fewer conflicts come up, because both of you are striving to bear with each other, love each other, and forgive each other. There's a frightening verse in the New Testament Jesus is speaking on the Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew 6, 15, he says, but if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. That's scary to me. 
There is a perfect heavenly father who offers his forgiveness to his children. And if he in his perfection is willing to do that, for sinners like you and me who are imperfect, how much more does that mean that you and I should be willing to do it not only for our spouses, but for all people. Back in 1984, there was a brief story in Reader's Digest written by a guy named Robert Lewis. Just two paragraph story. He told an argument about that his parents had had. He writes, in the middle of one of my parents' most memorable disagreements, when things were getting pretty heated, my father jumped up from the table and he grabbed two sheets of paper. And he said to my mother, he says, let's make a list. Let's make a list of everything we don't like about each other. Well, the mom started writing. The dad scowled at her for a couple minutes and then he wrote on his paper. And she wrote again and he watched her. Every time she started to write something, he would start to write again. Finally, after a while, they had finished. And he said, okay, let's exchange complaints. Wife said, okay, let's do it. They gave each other their lists on their piece of paper. And Lewis said, my mom glanced down at my dad's list and she pleaded, give me mine back. <laughs> give me mine back. Because she saw what my dad had written, all the way down the page, he had written, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. What a wonderful thing it would be if we all could gain enough strength by the power of Jesus Christ inside and give each other another chance. Give each other another shot that if we would focus on being content in Jesus, we'd focus on encouraging each other, being affectionate with each other, maybe the best thing you could possibly do for a repentant husband or a repentant father is say, let's try again. I believe in you. Let's move forward. I love you. Wives, if you would do that, Chances are he will see you as beyond Mrs. Wonderful. And your children will see you as a model by which they can live their lives by. And they will see you as one who demonstrates a love that never fails and a love that keeps no record of wrongs. That's what's so wonderful about the grace of God. He offers every single one of us a second chance. No matter how many mistakes we've made, no matter what our week looked like last week, God offers you and I, by the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, a second chance. It gives us grace and gives us forgiveness. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. 
I encourage you today to lean on God's forgiveness, to lean on God's grace, and let that fill you up and give you the power. Wives, not only to forgive your husbands, but husbands to forgive your wives, and for all of us to extend that same grace to the people we run into every single day. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your amazing grace. And God, I pray that your power would permeate this place this morning. God, I thank you for the ladies that are here. God, I thank you for their willingness to listen to this teaching that comes from your word. God, encourage them, bless them, strengthen them. God, allow them to gain their self-worth and believe in who you have created them to be. Not by looking at this world, but God, by seeking your face, by seeking your presence, your power. God, may they see themselves as you see them, as perfect. Father, if there's anyone in this room who has never experienced the grace and forgiveness that you offer through the sacrifice of your son on a cross, God, this morning I pray they'd seek one of us out up here on the stage and say, hey, I'd like to know more about how I can strengthen my relationship with Jesus because we'd love to talk to him. God, we praise you. We thank you for marriage. And God, I pray that you not only strengthen every marriage in this room, but God, you'd strengthen every marriage across this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.